Father, it is such a blessing to be able to come here and sing your praises and to uh, declare your excellencies, to exalt your name. And Lord, uh, we do thank you so much that uh, the only reason we can do this and that you hear our praise is because Christ, your son, died for our sins and has cleansed us. And we are now, those who have been trusted in him, are now righteous in your sight because of Jesus, your son. And we can proclaim your excellencies and sing your praises. And Father, I thank you that we have an opportunity to look into your word also. And I do pray that you would grant us uh, understanding and and not only understanding, but a right response to what you have revealed in your word. Help us to know exactly what you intended and then to apply it to our lives by your spirit as you desire. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you hear often about uh, dysfunctional families. You know, you hear that term, dysfunctional family, you know, and maybe it's the drunk father and the feeble wife and the rebellious teen or or the wife that keeps getting beaten and yet stays. You know, everyone sees the problems, everyone sees the sin, but no one's willing to address it, uh, fearing the reaction of one another. But everyone outside sees that this family is dysfunctional. They see there are problems in the family. Well, unfortunately, the church is uh, quite the same these days. Uh, Sin is not dealt with. It's obvious that things are wrong, and people from the outside can look in and see, wow, something's wrong in there. But yet it shouldn't be that way. In the family of God, we shouldn't have uh, dysfunction in here. Yes, we are sinners, and yes, we fail, but we should be those who are confessing sin and allowing Christ to change us so that we would not be like the way we used to be. So with that in mind, we're going to continue our look in the book of First Thessalonians, and we're going to see how we are to function within the body of Christ as we look at basic commands for the Christian. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we are going to be looking today at verses 14 and 15. And as we've been in the book of 1 Thessalonians, um, we have seen the changed lives of the Thessalonians. They were changed by Jesus Christ. They turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. And they're only, or, or less than a year old in the faith, and the Apostle Paul had been driven out only three weeks into their salvation after sharing much truth with them. And he had learned from Timothy about their spiritual condition and was so joyful and thankful and responds with this letter. Now, after sharing his thankfulness for their salvation, he defends the manner in which he came to them, and then he shares his thankfulness again for their reception of the word in the midst of all their persecutions. And he reminds them about his uh, sending of Timothy to, in, to check to see and to, to build them up and encourage them according to the faith. And he was thankful for his response that they, were, uh, be, that they were loving the Lord and they were loving each other and they had a desire to see the Apostle Paul. And then we came to chapter 4 where Paul begins to shift gears and exhort the Thessalonians in their walk with Jesus Christ. And we saw that we are to live a Christian life that excels still more. Indeed, the Apostle Paul uh, desired and encouraged them to excel still more in their walking and pleasing God, that they might continue to apply biblical instruction, understanding what God's will is for them, that they should be sanctified. And then he begins to point out certain areas that they need to excel still more in one, uh, sexual immorality or purity, and then... uh, uh, to excel still more in love with the brethren, and then to excel still more in hope, in hope. Now we saw in the end of chapter 4 that these Thessalonians were concerned about their loved ones who had fallen asleep, who had died in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul shares the comforting truths that we grieve not like those who have no hope, that Christ will bring those with him who have fallen asleep, and they will be raised first, and then we who are alive and remain will be changed And we will meet each other in the air in a glorious reunion. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And then he moves into chapter 5 to address their concerns about uh, the day of the Lord. They were being persecuted heavily. We see that in chapter 
chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians also. And some had thought maybe they had entered in the day of the Lord and had missed the Lord's coming in a sense. And the Lord made it clear, yes, that day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, but it's for those who have rejected him. You see, those who are in Christ, those who are, have trusted in Jesus, are not destined for wrath, but for salvation. For salvation. Therefore, comfort one another with his words. And then we moved into the last section of the book, which we began to look at last time, where we have a series of 22 commands for the body of Christ. And within that, uh, we saw the reality of how we should be with our leaders, and also we will see how we should be with one another, and then some basic commands. Again, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, and I want to back up to verse 12, what we saw last time, and read through into our chapter, or our portion also. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live at peace with one another. And then our passage. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Tremendous little passage that has so many little wonderful things in it for us, so many applications. We can already go, wow, I, I, that's really wonderful. I need to hear this. Now, you might remember we saw last week how we in the body are to function in regards to our leaders. He begins with that, and then he moves from the leaders to what we'll see today, how the sheep are to treat each other. And then he gets to the individual personal realities of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's how this is structured in these 22 commands. And you'll remember that we are to appreciate and, uh, and, and to hold highly those who faithfully lead us in Christ. Remember, he beseeches them. Look back at verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction. Paul, desire, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, desires that to move their wills to do the right thing towards their leadership, to move their hearts so that they would respond rightly towards those the Lord has placed in their midst to point them to Christ and to watch over their souls. Now, within that, we saw the tremendous reality of what a godly leader looks like. And remember, this is an early church. We don't see much about elders, which we looked at other places last time. We don't see about elders and overseers and pastor teachers. This is a very young church. It's less than a year old. As these leaders are being raised up, we see just the basics of how those who lead should lead. And we looked at that. We looked at that. They were to appreciate them. The word spoke of get to know or, or to, to acknowledge in terms of knowing. There's a sense of a personal relationship with those that are leading you. And we saw that there were three aspects of biblical leadership that were revealed by the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. He talked about first those who diligently labor among you. And we saw it talks about working hard. The word spoke of working to exhaustion, hard work among you. There are leaders that are working hard among you. And it primarily has to do with their responsibilities of imparting the word of God, as we see, feeding the sheep, but also there are those things that relate to that, protecting the flock from threats, shepherding, watching over their souls. We looked at that last time. You can get the CD and listen to that or go online. And then notice the second thing that they do, that leaders do, that we looked at. He says, who have charge over you. There is a spiritual authority that God gives leaders to watch over the souls of Christ's church. It's his church. And within that, they have charge over you. And it's a voluntary submission and a willing submission by those who desire to be led by Jesus Christ through those under shepherds he places in your midst. He says they have charge over you. The word speaks of one who's responsible. Appreciate those. Appreciate those who, who rule over and have charge over you in a sense. The term rule doesn't speak of overlording. First Peter talks about not lording over. It speaks of leading in a sense. The same word is translated rule in First Timothy chapter 5 or have charge over you. 
Turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. And you'll remember that those who lead, and this is the same word also, the same word lead, stand before, it's, it's translated rule, lead, or have charge over you. Same word. You'll remember how they do it. How they do it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. He says, remember those who led you. And he doesn't say and, he says just, he goes right into it, explaining. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. They led you by sharing the word of God to you. You see, it's the great shepherd and his word that enables us to grow in our relationship with him. And other shepherds do the same. And then he said, and considering the result of their conduct, don't imitate their conduct. He says, imitate their faith, imitate their trust in Jesus Christ. They shared the word of God with you. They trusted in Christ. Imitate their faith in Christ. And so then, godly leaders work hard among you diligently. They also have charge over you. Look down a little farther. He was 13, 17. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. The reason why you submit to godly leaders, not ungodly leaders asking you to do ungodly things, but godly leaders who are pointing out in your life the things that you need to see that are obvious to them as they shepherd you, they're saying, hey, this is what you should be doing in Christ. Obey them because they watch over your souls, for they watch over your souls. He says here, as those who will give an account, very serious charge, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Don't grieve your leadership. That's not good for you if they're grieved. I'll tell you that right now. I'll tell you that right now from personal experience. The reality is it's a joy to share Christ and to come alongside people. Even we're all messed up. It's when people want to be shepherded, when they want to be changed, when they want to hear the word of God. And they're like, wow, I messed up. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing that. I want to do the right thing. That's a joy. That's not grief. And so then we see they have charge over you. But also, he says, and give you instruction. And I mentioned that certainly the word of God is instructed through leaders in the body of Christ. But I mentioned that other versions rightly translate this word admonish. And it's a word we're going to see today in our passage also. The word literally nuthateo, nous, mind, tithemi, means to place, to put, means to put in the mind. It spoke of speaking very clearly and warning someone about their behavior. It's translated warn at times or admonish, admonish. He says, appreciate those, get to know those in a sense, uh, those, who, 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 um, those who watch over your souls, those who work diligently, and those who give you instruction or literally admonish you. In the body of Christ, we need admonishment. You see, God's word admonishes us. And if leaders are doing their job, God's word through them is going to admonish us. It's amazing how I admonish myself all the time as I'm preaching. I hear this. I go, wow, Lord, thank you. The reality is God's word is what admonishes us, and that's what they should be using. So they continually admonish. Appreciate them. Appreciate those who do that. Appreciate. And then we see, as they admonish with the word of God, that within that, he also says, back in our passage, he says that you esteem them, verse 13, very highly in love. The term love is agape love, that in the context of selflessness and seeing them as more important than yourself, the term esteem, you esteem them, means to make a decision after weighing the facts. You make a decision after weighing the facts and you esteem them, in a sense, do that, do so very highly in love. And that word very highly we saw speaks of beyond measure, exceedingly. But why is it that we esteem leaders? Why are we commanded to do this? Is it because of their teaching ability? Is it because of their personality? Is it because of their position? Is it because of their speaking abilities? No. He says here, verse 13, the end, because of their work. God has charged them to watch over the flock, to feed the sheep, that they would be protected and grow in their relationship with Jesus. And that is why you esteem them very highly in the context of love. 
It's not talking about flattery. Flattery is sin, whether it's saying something that is true about someone or isn't, but it's there to manipulate and sin, and it's, and it's a sinful thing. This is truly appreciating, truly uh, uh, esteeming, valuing after weighing the facts them very highly, because this is what God says in the context of love. And then we saw the command for the body of Christ, the beginning of that, to live at peace, end of verse 13, with one another. To be at peace with one another. There's nothing more uh, grieving to a leader and leaders than to have a body that is in the context of strife. Be at peace with one another. As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men, especially in the body of Christ. We heard it earlier. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. We should be at peace with one another. And so with that in mind, we move to our passage today where we are commanded to lovingly address the problems within the body of Christ. And I think you're going to see, and we're going to see today, that this is not simply speaking of leaders. This is speaking of each and every one of us. These are commands to the body of Christ. Look at verse 14. But we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with all men. Here we have some imperative commands. God, through uh, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is sharing these imperative commands. And they're in a present tense, which speaks of a continual action. Continually do these things, brothers and sisters. You see, they were to excel still more. They were doing well. It wasn't as though they were not doing well. Remember what he wrote back in chapter 4, verse 1? Finally then, my brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do, that you would excel still more. And they needed to excel in this as we need to excel in this. How we interact with one another how we interact in the body of Christ. You see, at this point, the Apostle Paul does begin to address how the body itself is to deal with problems within the body, with difficulties within the body, so that the body might be properly functioning and not be hindered by those whose uh, walk with Christ is not where it should be, where it not where it should be. You see, every family has problems, And every body of believers is going to have problems. We're all sinners, saved by God's grace. But the question is, how do you handle those problems in the body of Christ? As I mentioned before, dysfunctional families and churches remain silent concerning the problems and do not address them. Yet spirit-led, Christ-centered, obedient, healthy churches will speak the truth in love and address those things for the good of one another. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. But there's a way in which this is done. We're going to see there are different classes of difficulties, in a sense, within the body of Christ. And there are different ways that we are to deal with it. And sometimes, without having the spirits leading, we can take certain passages of Scripture and apply it to certain people who may be having difficulties and apply it to the wrong group the wrong way and hurt them quite a bit. We need to understand which group is which and how we are to apply it to one another. And this is what we have in our passage today. Notice he says, and we urge you, brethren. This is really important. We exhort you. We we beseech you. It's like someone coming, please do this. Please do this. And then he's going to command them to do it. We urge you, we exhort you. And he says, brethren. He's not speaking to just one group of people that are the super saints in the church. He's not speaking to the leaders or whatever it might be. He's speaking to the body of Christ. That's everybody. He says, we urge you, brethren. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we become children of God. We have a new relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are now spiritually related. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we are now brothers and sisters of one another. We're in a family, an eternal family. And so he says, we urge you, brethren, that's everybody. This message applies to every single one of us here today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. These commands are for every single one of us 
if you name the name of Christ. And so he commands the whole body. And notice he's going to address those different groups that actually pose a threat to themselves and the body of Christ in regards to faith in Jesus Christ. Notice he says, And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Did you see it? Three different groups. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is calling upon the body to address three different groups. The unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak. And we're going to see that each group is addressed differently, and they are not the same. They are not the same. We're going to see that the, that the faint-hearted are not the unruly. Now, there may be some who are unruly who appear to be faint-hearted, but they're not the faint-hearted. We're going to see that the weak are not the unruly. Now, there may be some that are weak that appear to be weak, but they are the, uh, actually unruly. We're going to see that. There are three separate groups to be addressed in three different manners so that they would be right with the Lord and their walk would not be a hindrance to themselves or to others around them. So then, he begins with the first group. He says, uh, and we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Now, this term speaks of uh, being out of step. This term speaks of... Uh, actually, before we even get to the term about that term, and I'll talk about it in a minute, he actually talks about, first of all, admonish. And we saw that word earlier, and I want to talk about that. We parakaleo you, brethren. We, we urge you, brethren, that's speaking of all of us, to do what? Admonish, this is a command, the unruly. And again, I just mentioned this word earlier, the word nuthateo. It's the same word translated give you instruction earlier. It's, it's unfortunate when the same word is used within two verses that a translators don't translate it the same because you think it's a different word. So I usually prefer the NASB, but in this case I prefer the New King James if they say, I think they say admonish in both of those, and so I prefer that. But he says admonish the unruly. The term speaks of warning, instructing, giving instructions in regards to behavior. It speaks of placing in the mind, placing in the mind. One commentator says the same thing. He says, often used where wrong tendencies needed correcting. It involves a moral appeal to the will, but based on understanding through biblical instruction. The term admonish in this context speaks of coming alongside with the word of God and pointing out and saying, look, you're on the wrong track, as we'll say. You're on the wrong track. And you need to, you need to confess and get right with the Lord or there are consequences. He says admonish the unruly. Now, folks, leaders are not the only ones who admonish the body of Christ. Now, we need to be careful. You know, sometimes we've had a time in our church, not anymore, I haven't seen it lately, where people would hear a sermon like this and they would go out and start admonishing everybody for everything. That's not what it's talking about. There's a certain area and a certain thing that we're to do it for, and we'll see that. But we are all able and qualified to do it. You think, I can't do that. Yes, you can in Christ. You can if you're following Jesus and you love him and you're abiding in him. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Now, certainly if you've got sin in your life, that may be the reason why you're not going to do it. Get rid of the sin, confess it, get right with the Lord, and then do the right thing. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Isn't that wonderful? And that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then notice what he says. And concerning you, my brethren... I myself am also, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to do what? Admonish one another. Boy, this puts Christian counseling out of business. The body of Christ can come alongside and admonish one another. You're able to do that in Christ. You have the knowledge in Christ to come alongside rightly. Rightly, and I'm not saying good Christian counselors show the word of God. I'm talking about the, the, the bogus stuff out there. But you can do it. The body of Christ. You are able to do it. You're able to do it. And so back in our passage, 
we see the duty of a functioning body, as we will see, is to uh, address things uh, that, as we'll see, are out of order in people's lives as they walk with Jesus Christ or attempt to. Now, before we get to what specifically the, 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 we are to admonish, the, the unruly, as we talk about that, how are we to admonish in general? Well, First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the very oracles of God. Speak the word of God. You see, oftentimes we'll admonish, but we'll admonish out of our own wisdom or our own understanding rather than sharing the word of God. This is what's going on in your life. This is what God's word says. These are the consequences. I love you. If you go this way, it's bad. You're in trouble. You need to confess. God will forgive you. So he says, admonish the unruly. The unruly. What does this term unruly mean? We kind of understand in our English word, unruly, right? Think of an unruly child. He's one that's not listening to his parents, doing his own thing, right? The term spoke of a soldier. It's a military term. It spoke of a soldier who was out of step or out of rank or moving in disarray. It spoke of that which was out of order. It could also speak of one who was insubordinate as a military person. One who was openly disobeying orders. Openly disobeying orders. In the context of what we're seeing here, the unruly are those who are openly disobeying God's word. That's what it is. It could be on a very evil level or a very simple level. We, we tend to think certain things are much worse than others, and they are, but then we don't recognize some sins are still sins. He says here, the unruly, they're, the out, they're out of step. They've strayed off the path. They're walking in disobedience, but they are among you, by the way. That's the context here. Now, this is not simply, I believe, speaking of those walking in gross immoral sin, which would certainly be out of step. It seems to imply they're still in the body of Christ, yet they're out of step. They need to be warned of the temporal and eternal consequences of their actions so that they would confess and forsake or repent and get back on track. And you say, what are these unruly? What are these terrible sins possibly, or what might it be? I think we have a perfect example of this in 2 Thessalonians. We have people who were actually following the Lord, but they were disobeying in one area of their lives, and it needed to be addressed, and it was addressed by the Apostle Paul. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You see, there were some in the church who were waiting for Jesus Christ. They were doing the right thing, but they were, they, their focus was out of bounds. It was messed up. And they had stopped working because Jesus is coming. And then they became a burden on the body of Christ. An unloving burden. And they were going against the instruction that Paul had shared with them by example and clearly concerning their responsibility to work. Notice in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And notice the words that are used here. It's the same word we have in our passage. And I'll point it out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, get a little more firm here, in the name of the Lord, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads, what? An unruly life. Okay? Now he's going to explain. Because when we think of unruly, we think of someone who is like, you know, just a wild man or something, you know, with sin left and right. Look at what he says. This is the unruliness he is speaking of. It's someone who's out of step and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. That's the word they gave them. For you yourselves know, he's explaining how we ought to, how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. And he goes on to speak about the fact that there are some that aren't working and that he gave them the command that if anyone will not work, they must, they will not eat. They were out of step in that area. They weren't, I don't believe, blatantly going into immorality. They were out of step. Out of step. Okay? They're unruly. And he says, hey, you need to address this. You need to address this. They were probably those who were zealous about the area of doctrine of the Christ coming, and they had rejected, in a sense, the other instruction to take care of. They were out of step. They were rejecting that. 
You see, when someone in the body is not functioning properly, uh, we are supposed to respond the right way. And notice how they're called to respond. They're called there to keep aloof, to stay away, to stay away. And notice what he says, 2 Thessalonians 3. Um, again, he says, keep aloof, and then look down at verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter... Uh, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. Okay, wow. The instruction was to get a job. Okay? And yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In verse 11, a little bit far, a little bit back, he talked about some leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all. The term undisciplined, that's our word, an unruly life. Doing no work at all but acting like busybodies. Maybe they were spiritual busybodies. Maybe they were doing church stuff or whatever it might be, but they weren't working and providing. They were out of step. They were out of step. That's one example that we can clearly see here. Clearly see. And concerning that issue, they are to stay aloof of them until they respond, right? We're going to see that this really falls in line with what we see in other passages concerning how the church is to deal with sin in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says in verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean at all the immoral people of this world, or the covetous or swindlers or idolaters, all should have to go out of the world. I didn't mean to pull yourself away from the world. And then he goes on, he says here, but I actually wrote you, 1 Corinthians 5, 11, not to associate with any so-called brother. And he goes on to give a list of sins, and there was one that uh, was in their midst. He says, you know, we don't judge outsiders, we judge those in the body of Christ. And then we looked at Matthew 18, partially last week. The reality, if your brother sins, go to him in private. That's just something no one else is seeing. Go to him in private. If he listens, praise the Lord. If he doesn't, bring two. You know, and talk about if he doesn't listen there, bring, you know, tell to the church. If he doesn't, treat him as an outsider. Well, here... This unruliness is already at the point where everybody sees it. So what do you do? You're all to do it. Admonish the unruly. And if they don't respond, separate from them. Love them, but separate from them in a sense, right? That's what he's talking about here. Very basic. Remember I told you, First Thessalonians is very young in the church. And we're seeing principles that are more relayed more clearly, or even the Lord related in Matthew 18, uh, in the other scriptures. So then, those who are out of step, we are to warn. Warn is a good word, warn or admonish. We're to take the word of God and lay it across their behavior that is out of step. Point to what is right. We're to provide, you know, First, first Timothy chapter 5. You know, if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an unbeliever. Look, you need to be providing for your family. You need to not be a burden on the body of Christ. That's not love. Share the word of God. There are consequences if you continue in this direction. Maybe it means your heart is not right before the Lord. Maybe you don't know the Lord, and I care for you. There are consequences. First of all, you're hurting everyone around you, and you're going to hurt yourself too. The way of the transgressor is hard. The Lord says you should be working, whatever it might be. What about someone forsaking assembly? Listen, brother, you're forsaking assembly. You're out of step. You're focused on your own life. Something's wrong here. We love you. We care for you. The reality is, Hebrews says that uh, maybe, just maybe, if this is your lifestyle, that you really haven't been forgiven of your sins and judgment's on its way. I don't want to see that, brother. I hope you're a brother. We come along with them with the word of God. Look at the way you seem to, you're continually uh, speaking evil of people. That's wrong. You're, you're, you're gossiping. It's wrong. Whatever it might be, admonish the unruly. And it's any area in that sense. It's any area. They're out of step. They're disobedient. They're not functioning properly in the body. Warn them. Warn them. For their good. For their good. Treat them, like, treat them, treat them in the context of love. Warn them. So we're all commanded to warn those who are out of step. Do you know anybody out of step? Got a certain area in their life, and they're in the body of Christ, they're not functioning properly? They're out of step? Someone who doesn't seem to take the command that we are to do it, be anxious about nothing? 
but in everything through prayer and supplication. They're worrying all the time and it comes out all the time. They're not even, they don't listen when they hear the word of God. You need to trust the Lord. We're committed not to worry, but to pray and bring all of our stuff before the Lord and he'll guard our hearts and minds. He'll take care of you. Trust him. Stop sinning. Stop going that way. You're out of step. I care for you. Whatever it might be. Now, it doesn't mean we don't trip up. Galatians chapter 6 talks about the fact that uh, we are to come alongside those who are caught in a trespass. These are those who in some area are out of step. They are not doing what God's word says. And it is clear. It is clear. Okay? Come alongside and admonish them. We're all responsible to do that. Now, again, I warn you, this is not for those who are not spirit-led. The body of Christ should be spirit-led. It's not for those to run around and be the admonishers of everyone for every little thing. No, love covers a multitude of sins. This is for people's good that they would follow Christ rightly. And so back in our passage, he says, the first command, we are to warn the wayward, we're to admonish the unruly. But notice there's a second command. Encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. The term faint-hearted is an interesting word. It means literally small-souled. Small-souled. could speak of someone who's weak in the soul, weak inside. Not sick, but weak, a despondent, faint-hearted. Now, we need to remember it's very important that we don't confuse this being small-souled or faint-hearted and also weak, the next command, with being out of step being out of step. You see, these are not those who are unruly. These are not those who are openly disobeying God's word on purpose. They are not openly rebellious to what is being told to them. They're saying, oh, I don't want to worry. I know it's wrong. Help me. I don't have the power. I feel so inadequate. They actually don't argue with you at all about what you share with them concerning sin. They want to do the right thing. These are not the unruly. Remember that. Now, the weak and the faint-hearted can become unruly if they don't respond rightly. We don't see that. Now, we need to be careful because sometimes, many times, people will act like they are weak or faint-hearted, but they're really out of step. They're rebellious towards the Word of God. They'll say, I'm so weak, giving excuses, whatever it might be, but they don't say, yes, this is the right thing and I want to do this. This is about the faint and the weak. Not those who will argue with you and give excuses to defer their culpability concerning the issues at hand. This speaks of those who actually want to do, I believe, what's right. They're not unruly. But there's a problem. And we need to come alongside as we're going to say. The term faint hold is small, small soul. What does that mean? It speaks of one who lacks spiritual courage. It's not a good thing. But it's not an outright rebellious thing, but it's not a good thing. They want to follow Christ, yet when suffering hits, they fall apart. They lose sight of Jesus. Every problem is insurmountable. The trials are debilitating. They've lost sight of Christ. They're paralyzed by their difficulties. They actually know what's right and they want to do it, but they can't do it. They seem to be paralyzed. They seem to be so small in their soul in a sense. Oh, the small souled. Practically speaking, they have lost sight of who God is and what he's truly promised. They lost sight of who he is. And they need to be, as we will see, encouraged. Encouraged. This is what they need. They want to do the right thing. Now, I think it's possible who he's speaking of are those in whom he has addressed issues earlier. They were those who were grieving like the world because they thought they had lost their relatives who had come to Christ, but Christ had already, hadn't come yet. They needed to be comforted with the word of God that, no, Jesus is coming. He'll bring them with you. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. The term encourage here is an interesting word. It speaks of, some versions say comfort. It speaks of speaking in a friendly manner to comfort or console. It speaks of rousing up someone's will to what ought to be done. It speaks of rousing up hope for a good outcome. Encouraging one to continue the course. Fight the good fight, brother. 
Don't be discouraged. This is what God says. You're going to make it. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's gracious. He's kind. He's merciful. If you trust him, he'll, 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 he'll perfectly bring forth what he has promised. Encourage them. Console them. Point them to Jesus. They're small-souled. It's not a good thing, but God wants to help them. And if this is you, we are to come alongside you when this is manifest. The whole body is. I know you're sad about your loved ones that have passed away, but we'll see them again. We're going to meet them in the air when Jesus comes. I know persecution seems horrible right now. and We're suffering greatly. But we're not destined for wrath, but for salvation. Comfort them. Comfort them. The same word was used earlier by the Apostle Paul in chapter uh, 2, verse 12, to speak of the way he came alongside and admonished and comforted. You see, we have to treat people differently based on where they're at. Now, if this person is faint-hearted but yet is really unruly, then we treat him as the unruly, by the way. Encourage the small soul. Now, you can't do this unless you're around. How can you obey this command unless you're around people? It's impossible. Now, we have this COVID thing, but yet we still possibly need to be around one another. We got, we got phones. We got all kinds of stuff. Encourage the faint-hearted, the small soul. They need encouragement that they would no longer be the faint-hearted, that they would trust Jesus, that they would trust Jesus. Is someone around you, you know, discouraged? They want to do the right thing, but they're discouraged. Their eyes have been pulled off Christ. The things are getting difficult for following Jesus. Maybe it's a situation in a marriage or whatever it might be. They're doing the right thing and they're having problems. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Whatever it might be, this life is temporal. There's the sufferings for the glories to follow. Encourage the small soul. Now again, the small soul is not the rebellious they are, not, they are not openly giving excuses for things. They want to do the right thing. They're not saying, well, this and that, and you did that, and that. No, 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 no. Draw near to them with comforting words. Draw near to them with comforting words. But notice lastly, after warning the wayward, encouraged the discouraged, we have support the weak. Support the weak. The term weak means to be without strength. To be feeble, it's most often translated sick. It's most often translated sick. It speaks of a sickness or an ailment that causes a lack of strength. That's really what it talks about. Jesus used the word, he said, the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's weak. Well, who are the weak? Is it possibly the doctrinally weak in faith in First Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 5? Or First Corinthians, possibly. Those who lack biblical knowledge and thus are limiting their freedom in Christ, they're doctrinally weak, they want to do the right thing, but yet they're weak in faith. Maybe. But who are they? I think it's speaking of the weak or sick in the faith. And thus they easily fall into sin. They don't want to do it, but they easily fall into it. They're weak. They're sin sick in a sense almost. They're, they're sick. They're, they're weak. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, they're not the unruly because he would have addressed them earlier, and he did. They're not saying, I'm going to do this even though this says this. They're not the unruly. But they've fallen into things. They're not saying, oh, I'm so weak, and yet acknowledging the fact that their sin is wrong. That's a rebel. That's a rebel. Remember that. Some people act like the weak. I'm so weak, I can't do it all. But they never admit, this is so wrong what my heart has been thinking. This is so wrong the way I've been acting. That's not what they're doing. Now, I think the term help is what's going to help us understand what this means. The term help means cling to, hold up support. They are weak in trusting Jesus. They need to be held up and supported. They need to be helped. The the Greek word is so much more vivid than our word in English for help. These are those who do not have a strong faith and they are failing. They may be relying on their flesh to deliver them from sin. They're failing over and over again. 
You see, weakness actually is a good thing if you understand it rightly. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. If we recognize within ourselves we can do nothing when Christ enables us, but this is a weakness in regards to their walk with Christ, their faith. This hold to, cling to support, hold up, help, speaks of a close loyalty, supporting. Help the weak. How do we do that? Well, we need to be involved in one another's lives. We need to hold them up that they might grow in their understanding of Jesus Christ more and more, that they would be strong, not stay weak, that they would be strong in the faith. It involves close relationships and intimacy. You have to come alongside. And I think we have an example of this in an interesting way in the end of the book of James, which is often mistranslated or misunderstood. But turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And I really don't have time to walk through this completely the way I would like to, but hopefully we'll get the point of what James is intending here, which will help us understand what we are looking at. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is any among you sick? That's our word. Could speak of physical illness. Now remember, sin does bring physical illness sometimes, by the way. It does. Look at David's life. Look at, the, for, look at the Corinthians. They were sick because of their sin. Is anyone who is sick? This is our word. Weak. Is anyone weak? Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders. Not the elders running around figuring out if anyone's sick, but let them call for the elders. And notice what they do. And let them pray over them. Pray. It's the primary thing they do. And then this other part, which gets mistranslated, misunderstood all the time anointing him in oil in the name of the Lord. They think, okay, it's some healing ritual. The idea of anointing, you can go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 17. Jesus told the people who are being hypocrites, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, but clean yourself up, anoint your head, but, you know, grease your hair back, clean yourself up, wash your face, he says. I think it's their weak. Clean them up, help them, anoint their head in the name of the Lord. And then he says here, and the prayer. He doesn't say the anointing. Pray for them, right? He says, and the prayer of faith, offered in faith, will restore, or literally the word means save, will deliver them. It means deliver the one who is sick. Stop there. It's a different word. It actually, than our word, in our, and it's, it's actually a word that should be translated distressed. The one who is distressed. Pray for them. They're distressed because of sin. They're weak. They're weak. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven. Notice all high words sin come from. Sin's usually around the corner, right? Therefore, here's his summary. Two things. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Your effective prayer of a righteous man accomplished much. It's about prayer. You're praying that their sin would be exposed. They would see things right. They'd confess it. And they would be healed from their distress. Their distress. Which certainly can bring in sickness. Folks, when we allow sin to enter in our lives because of a weak faith, we become distressed. We're sin sick in a sense. We need someone to come alongside, hold us up, Pray for us, bring out that sin, confess it, get right. They're not rebels. They just got some wrong thinking that needs to be addressed. It's sinful, yes, but it needs to be addressed. Hold them up, help them. But we need discernment, by the way, because sometimes those who are weak are really rebellious. They're unruly, and they need to be treated a different way. We need discernment and discretion. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 11, what does he say there? He says, apart from verse 29, apart from such external things, there are the daily pressures on concern upon me of concern for the churches. Who is weak? This is my, my this is our word, not my word, but our word. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? You know, you think of Galatians 5, you restore someone in the spirit of gentleness, you hold someone up. Trust the Lord Jesus. The way you're thinking is wrong. I'm praying for you. Let's pray about this. It's holding them up to trust Jesus. 
Now, there is a great danger, and this is a warning, that if the weak are not held up, the discouraged are not encouraged. Now, certainly they're responsible for their own actions, but if we don't come alongside, the body doesn't function properly. There's a great danger for them becoming wayward and disobedient, where they are now openly not doing what is right, and they are not willing to change. Remember, the small-souled and the weak, they're not wayward yet. Comfort and help, right? Comfort and help. So then we are to admonish the unruly. We are to come alongside and speak uh, that which encourages and rouses hope, the discouraged. And we are to hold up the weak, right? That's what we're to do in the body of Christ. And we need his discernment to see those things rightly. Because if you are not relying on Jesus Christ in obeying these commands, you're going to mess people up because you're not going to see it rightly. You're going to treat the unruly as though they're something else. You're just going to add into their, 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 their sinfulness. Or you're going to treat someone who's uh, faint-hearted or, 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 or discouraged like the unruly. And you treat them wrongly and even tear them down even more. Whatever it might be. We need discernment. We need discretion. And you know what? When we come alongside and help people, there is the very real possibility that they may not treat us well that they may not respond rightly, that they may respond in an evil manner. And this takes patience and a right response. Look at uh, uh, the last portion here. Be patient with all men. Be patient. That is a fruit of the Spirit. That is a fruit of trusting Jesus. You see, we need to be patient with everybody. And, and you know, in terms of sin, in terms of things like that, we know in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We're to be patient. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience. We represent the Lord Jesus. Be patient. Be patient. What we heard read earlier, Colossians chapter 3. Turn there again, Colossians chapter 3. Now, it's certainly relating to these that we're talking about, but he's going to say be patient with all men, everybody, everybody. And you know what? You need to trust Jesus and walk with him to do that. You've got to be relying on Jesus. We need to walk with Jesus to do that. Colossians 3.12. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and what? Patience. Put on this heart, that's the Lord's heart, and he says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The Apostle Paul, speaking to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, about those who are held captive by Satan to do his will, he says, the Lord's bondservant is not quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach patient when wronged patient when wronged patient with everybody all men everybody these are commands for the whole church for each one of us you know love is patient and love is kind it's selfishness that's not patient i'll tell you that right now and we need to be able to discern our own hearts and 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 either affirm that we're trusting christ or not and we need to confess and trust him But notice, there's the, right, there's the possibility that someone might treat you wrongly. Notice what he says in verse 15. We have another command. See to it that no one repays evil for evil. The implication is someone is treating you badly. Someone is paying evil upon you. They are, they are treating you in an evil manner. Rather than returning evil, we should pursue that which is good, he says, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Believe me, in the church, uh, there will be those who do evil to you directly and indirectly. It's going to happen. But we're commanded to look out, see to it, that no one, not one of us, returns evil for evil. Yes, someone has treated you wrongly. They've slandered you. They've spoken evil. Don't speak evil of them. They've treated you wrongly. Do not do evil in your heart towards them. You can return evil for evil in your heart, by the way. Don't do it. 
don't do it. But we're to pursue something. But always seek after that which is good for one another. Turn to Romans chapter 12, see, because when someone does do evil to you, you can trust the Lord. That he's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. And hopefully they might even be shamed and repent. You hope for that. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Never, never, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Someone irritates you, don't irritate back to them. Don't pay back evil for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Never do it. Leave it in God's hands. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. But we're to do something instead of repaying evil for evil. Notice what he says. But always seek after that which is good for one another. That's the body of Christ and for all men. The term seek after is translated or literally means to pursue. Spoke of a, of a dog pursuing the prey or an animal pursuing its prey. Just, just totally focused, pursuing. The word is used actually in other places and translated persecute because that's what people do when they persecute. They pursue you in that manner. That's persecution. But we're to pursue the singular focus, that which is good for one another rather than returning evil. So treat you wrongly, pursue what's good for them. What's good for them is certainly what we heard earlier, admonish the unruly. You know, encourage the discouraged, help the weak. That's certainly good. Pursue what's good. Pray for them. Pursue what's good. Pursue what's good. And what is good? It's what Christ does through us when we abide in him, because he's good. When we trust in Christ, he gives us a different demeanor towards those who have treated us wrongly. He gives us a different demeanor. We're to consider... Hebrews chapter 10:24 how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds do what's good Titus talks about uh, have our people do good deeds to meet pressing needs do the right thing as Christ functions in your heart do good do good rather than evil do good rather than evil see to it that no one repays evil for evil but always seek after that which is good for one another and all men. By the way, what's the best for everyone? When I obey Jesus in regards to you, that's the best I can do for you because I'm going to love you. You see, the, the writer of First uh, John, John says that uh, this is the love of the brethren, basically that we keep his commandments. If I obey him regarding to you, I'm loving you. I see you as more important because he loves you greatly. He gave his son to die for your sins. Always seek after that which is good for one another. Think about that in your relationships in the body of Christ. Seek what's good, not what's evil. And also for all men, for everyone. What's good for those who don't know Christ? The gospel. What's good? Gracious words to those who don't deserve it. What's good? Praying for their salvation. What's good? Seek always that which is good for one another and for all men. So how are we to treat one another in the body of Christ? We're to pursue what is good. And within that, we're to address trouble for, God's, for, for their good and for God's glory. Today, we've seen that we are to admonish the unruly or to warn the wayward. We are to encourage or come alongside in comfort and rouse up the hope in Jesus of those who are small-souled. We are to help the weak. We are to hold up the sick in the faith that they may be strong in the faith. They may be strong in the faith. And in that, we're to be patient and we're to be good to them and all men. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that there is no one good but you. 
but yet in Christ you enable us to be good. It's quite amazing to think that we wretched sinners, so sinful, yet forgiven, now can abide in you and your goodness is manifest in us. I pray it would be that way, that our our hearts would be responsive to your word. And I pray that even today, anyone who is unruly would have been admonished. And anyone who is discouraged would be uh, encouraged. And anyone who is weak would be held up. And that we would do so as you bring those in front of us in our day-to-day lives. Father, that we would do good, seek out and pursue good for one another and for all men. I thank you for your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.